0: Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And I know that last week was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to having a lot more fun with you Um, this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Many of you are thinking, I don't remember describing anything last week as fun, but uh, thank you for that. Matthew chapter 5, I'll explain what I mean in a second. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. The Lord Jesus Christ said these words Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's Word. Father, we pray that You would pour out Your Spirit on me to speak your word clearly and truthfully and with great joy and glory, and that you'd pour out your spirit on us to have ears that just I'll shovel in your word, and that it all would land on tender hearts. We pray that you' do this in Jesus name. Amen. Most cities uh, have a food critic, food critic, a restaurant writer the man or woman who eats at all new restaurants in town and tells the rest of us if it's worth checking out, if it gets one star or five stars. Years ago, I read about something a little less common. I read about a guy who works for his local newspaper as the church critic. He goes around a week after week and visits the local houses of worship. He also includes synagogues, but he goes around to the different places where people gather just like a restaurant critic, and uh, he enjoys what they give him. After he visits, he he writes about it and uh, rates them. I'm not advising this as a potential career path for anyone here, but it is pretty interesting. I can't remember all he covers, but I imagine it was something like, were they welcoming? How was the coffee? The music? The preaching? The gift bag? That guy must have an amazing mug collection. (laughs) That kind of thing. Now, I imagine if that guy had come to Emmanuel Baptist Church last week and he had gone around to the different members of this congregation and asked, how was that sermon? He would have gotten mixed reviews. I imagine this because I experienced this. (laughs) Last week's sermon generated very polar opposite, different Reactions. I actually had a guy come up to me and say, This is why I love you. <laughs> For some, it was awesome. So deep. So clarifying. Will there be a sequel? <laughs> For others, the opposite reaction. It eh, was deep, deep, but, but not, not good deep. <laughs> Dense but more like fog (laughs) and the timing was off. 25 minutes for what you don't think and 10 for what you do? The great connoisseur of sermons, Christy Fullerton thought, maybe reserve, maybe reverse that. (laughs) 10 minutes on what you do think the text says, 20 minutes, five minutes on what you do. Anyway, you get the picture Last week's sermon generated different, often polar opposite reactions. So how do you follow that up as a preacher? Well, I'm going to follow up last week's sermon on Matthew 5, 17 through 20 with another sermon on Matthew 5, 17 through 20. There are four other errors I didn't mention. Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) If last week's sermon left you hoping for a sequel, I want more, then maybe the new material in this week's sermon will answer some of the questions that were lingering in your mind last week. And if last week's sermon left you hoping, I hope he won't preach another one quite like that anytime soon again. Well, hopefully this week's sermon will be a little more digestible, a little more applicable, and maybe even a little more beautiful. Either way, these verses deserve extra attention. These verses, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, literally give us the key to how to understand the commands of the first three quarters of our Bibles. These verses, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, literally give us the lens which allows us to see Clearly, the commands of the majority of the Bible God has given to us. They unlock a lot of doors, these verses do. And if you're a new Christian or new to Christianity, these four verses answer a question you might have had Why do Christians obey certain commands in the Bible, you shall not lie, and ignore others? like don't trim the edges of your beard. Why are some commands obeyed today and others ignored? Are we compromising? Are we hypocrites? It's none of these things. The reason some commands from the Old Testament are followed literally and others are not is because of what Jesus taught in Matthew 5.17-20. The reason we don't do everything in the Old Testament exactly the way it's spelled out in the Old Testament is not because we're ignoring the Old Testament, but because we've allowed Jesus to dominate how we understand our Old Testament. It's not a lack of conviction, a lack of trust in Jesus that leads to putting aside certain literal applications of the Old Testament text. It's a fullness of conviction in Jesus that leads us to do that. Matthew 5, 17-20 is the key to understanding how to apply three quarters of the Bible to your life. I'd say a passage like that deserves at least two sermons. And this passage we're looking at again this morning, Matthew 5, 17-20, it's not only key to understanding massive chunks of the Bible; it's also key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount that we're in right now. One of the things we're going to be just thrown into the deep end regarding in the Sermon on the Mount in the coming days and weeks is what are called the antitheses. There are six antitheses in the Sermon on the Mount. And what do you mean? Like, what do I mean by antitheses? Let me make these clean, uh, clear. There's six times in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it say it said, do not murder, but I say, don't even hate your brother. What Jesus is doing in Matthew 5, 17 through 20 this passage we're in right now is he's making sure that we do not understand any of those contrasts, any of those antitheses as him speaking one negative word about the Old Testament. You could you could see how a person would get that, right? Here is Jesus going, you've heard it said, but I say You could see how they might view him as abolishing or decimating or denigrating the Old Testament. And so, before he gets to any of those statements, he makes it clear that you shouldn't even think that. He says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He starts off by telling us how not to misunderstand what he's about to say. And so, because it's important for how we understand our whole Bibles, because it's important for how we understand the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to go with Matthew 5 17 through 20. Round two. Here's the first thing I want to show you. Thank you, Brother Jimmy. And Brother Jimmy, since you're here, it's Reformation Sunday, and I didn't have a chance to say anything about that. Where are you, Jimmy? You're right there. Can I make a request? Can I make a request of you, brother? A few years ago, you and your wife came to the Sunday service dressed as Martin Luther and his wife, Katrina Van Bora. Can I request that you do that again next year? You'll pray about it. Okay. Okay. Amen. Here's the first thing I want to show you Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law. Jesus does not want to be understood, so before He gets into, you have heard it said, but I say, He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says that so that nothing He ever says could ever be understood to abolish or throw away any part of the law not the law commands or the prophet promises. But he doesn't say that the law is unchanged. He says it's not abolished. But he never says it's unchanged. What he says specifically is that it is fulfilled. Now what does fulfilled mean? Let me tell you exactly what I think. One preacher said, it means that he takes the Old Testament commands and he fills them up and he fills them out. The Old Testament commands contain God's perfection, God's righteousness, God's holiness, but it's in black and white, as one person put it. Jesus transposes God's commands onto a color TV. Or, if you want to put it another way, especially if you're under 13, if you need help with this, Jesus does to the commands of the Old Testament what has happened to video game graphics in my lifetime. When I was a kid, all of the video games came to us in eight pixels. That means that Pac-Man, Mario, any football player in Tecmo Bowl, they all looked like they were built out of toddler Lego. And we were thankful. (laughs) We had no complaints. This was... We've filled hours of our time with eight-pixel joy. Today, when you play a video game, nothing is blocky. You can play Madden football, and if your player has long hair, you can watch it flow in the breeze while they run. There's a greater clarity and a greater depth And what Jesus does to the Old Testament law is to bring it into a crystal clear fullness. God's God's will, God's love, God's heart to be obeyed in ways that are righteous and holy never changes. But the law gives it to us, if you will, in eight pixels, and Jesus gives it to us with a refinement of 8,000 pixels. Now, no one made... What's going on here clearer than Jesus? The best interpreter of Jesus is Jesus. And in in John chapter 13, another gospel, different account of Jesus' life. In John chapter 13, we have Jesus say things that are remarkably helpful for helping us understand Matthew 5, 17 through 20. John 13, let me read you verse 34. John 13 34. Jesus says this. A new commandment I give you. Okay, something new. Something that wasn't there before. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now notice what he says. He says there's something new. And what's new is a new commandment. The law is not abolished, but there is something new. Okay, what's new? What's the new commandment? Love one another. That is not new. That is not new. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 22 tells us this is not new. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 22 says, Well, he's asked, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So love is not new. Love has been beating behind every commandment ever written by God ever throughout the whole Old Testament. There's nothing new about love. So what's Jesus doing coming along and saying, hey, I got a new commandment. Here it is. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. What makes the commandment new is the depth of the example of Jesus in loving others. He says it right after He's washed His disciples' feet. The Son of God, the Lord of the universe, washes toe jam and dust out of His disciples' feet and says, here's what's new. You love each other like that. But it's more than that. Because in John 13, he's just on the edge of going to the cross where he's going to die for people who hate him. He's, gonna, he's going to be spit, spit on. And while he's spit on, he's not going to rip the nails out of his hand and say, enough of you. He's going to sacrifice himself for sinners. And that depth of love is new. It's one thing for you to love others like, like like you love yourself, but you never love yourself like Jesus loved others. Jesus is the standard of the new law. That's what makes the new law new. Not that it's fundamentally out of line with the Mosaic law, not like the Mosaic law zigs and now Jesus zags, but much more that the law of God has always run along tracks of holiness and righteousness. But the Mosaic law runs on those tracks like a clunky steam engine and Jesus runs on those tracks like an electric engine that goes hundreds of miles an hour, surpassing the depth and the beauty and the clarity that we find in the Mosaic law. One last explanation. You said you just want what I think? You're getting lots of it. One last explanation. This one from the Apostle John. Notice how clear he does. This is, just, this is mind-blowing how we can see the Gospels helping us interpret one another. So, Matthew 17 says, I have not come to, but to fulfill. I haven't come to abolish, but to fulfill. John 13 says, it's new, but not in a way that's fundamentally opposed to what went before, but in a way that surpasses, goes beyond what has Come before. But in John chapter 2, he just he just puts this perfectly. The Apostle John, who knew Jesus intimately, writes this. He goes, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment. Isn't that interesting? Apostle John was there when Jesus says, The new commandment I give you. It was the Apostle John who wrote down the new commandment he gave you. Apostle John gets a chance to write a letter. What's the first thing he wants to say? Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. The old commandment is love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The old commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to what John says. Don't miss this. He says, I'm writing you no new commandment. I'm writing you an old commandment. Then verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What's happening? In one sense, the commands of Christ are not new at all. They run on the same tracks as the law of Moses. They they uphold the same righteousness as the law of Moses, but they go far beyond them. Nothing in the law of Moses. Thou shalt not murder is not the same as I will die for you. The one goes far beyond the other. So the new commandment is new because the light of Christ has shone in the world the light of Christ is what we have seen and it's become our it's become our example one last illustration in the old testament sometimes prophecies work through promises In the Old Testament, sometimes prophecies work through promises. The virgin will bear a son, and he'll call his name Emmanuel. Get to Matthew chapter one, a son is born of a virgin, and they call his name Emmanuel. Old Testament, there will be a king born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter five. You get to the first couple chapters of Matthew, There's a child born in Bethlehem and he is Christ the King. So sometimes in the Old Testament, promises are fulfilled with greater realities. Promises are made and then they're kept. But another way the Old Testament works, now listen to this carefully because this unlocks so much of the Bible and it gets right to the heart of what we're trying to get across this morning. Another way the Old Testament promises is through patterns. Another way the Old Testament promises is through patterns. Now, I am absolutely horrible at all things scientific and mathematical, but if I go back far at the middle school, I reach that level where I have a level of understanding. I remember around grade five saying to my kids, now we're, we're coming to the end of it, you know, we're coming to the end of where I can help you in any way, shape, or form. You're on your own. From here, I'll protect you, I'll love you, but math and science are yours. But maybe you remember in middle school having to fill out mathematical patterns. Let's try it. It almost happens naturally. One, five, nine. Thirteen. Seventeen. Twenty-one. Good. This is pattern. just kept adding four. Right? Now do one for the rest of you. Two. Four. Six. Eight. Oh, we're all winners here today. It's fantastic. The old testament very much works like that. Adam and Eve sin. An animal is slaughtered to cover their sinful nakedness. Abel gets accepted when he offers a blood sacrifice. The Old Testament commands that lambs be sacrificed for sin. Isaiah starts talking about a human being who's like a lamb led to the slaughter who would die for our sins. What's the next one in the pattern? It's Jesus. You see what's going on? Right at the beginning of sin, Adam and Eve are covered with a dead animal. Then you've got Abel accepted because of a blood sacrifice. Then you've got Israel allowed to enter God's presence when they offer the blood of lambs. Then you've got Isaiah saying, a man shall come who'll be a lamb. And then John the Baptist shows up on the scene, sees this guy and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. The stuff's not coming out of nowhere. The Bible follows these patterns. And what I'm saying, now—being this is the point. Here it is. If you were sitting there last week going, this is muddy, this is murky. I don't know where we are. I feel like I'm swimming in a mud puddle. Now is where you want to be. The law works the same way. The commands of the Old Testament start a pattern that ends in the commands Jesus gives. Jesus commands, if the law says two Four, six, eight, Jesus is the ten. If the law, if the law shows us in the beginning that it was wrong for Cain to murder Abel, and then the law says, Thou shalt not kill, and then Jesus says, It's not just thou shalt not kill, it's don't even hate. That's what's going on is the volume of God's revelation is just being turned up the whole time. It's just being filled up and filled in. This is what we mean when we say the law is being fulfilled. We're talking about how the commands of God, what God requires of man, what God is creating in the heart of man has been ramped up to the nth degree. No, not to the nth degree, but to the Christ degree. Where that He is our standard. Where we are as to love As He loved us where He is the law of God. Or as Paul puts it in the Corinthians letters, I'm under the law of Christ. That's what's going on when Jesus says He fulfills the law. Second and last point. I even went down to two points, just two, with multiple subpoints. Anyway, um, <laughs> here's the second point. This has crucial importance for your ministry as a Christian. The fact that Jesus fulfilled the law has crucial importance for your ministry as a Christian. Beloved, you have a ministry as a Christian. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says pastors equip the saints, that's Christians, for their work of ministry. I came this morning to minister the Word. And this morning and throughout the week, you will be ministering the Word To one another, to unbelievers, to Christian friends, to the Bible study you go to, to the kids you have, to the Christians you talk to after the service, to your GCG that you're a minister of. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, and this is stunning, says it's your ministry more than mine that will build Christians into the fullness of Christ. Preaching goes broad and deep and one another in goes intimate and precise. And it winds up really being catalytic to deep growth in your brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does this passage do? How does it equip you? For, did you come here this morning ready for ministry? Did you, did you come? I'm going, to, I'm going to minister this morning. I did, did you? Are you heading into this week thing? I'm heading into ministry. That's our calling. We are called to be ministers of the new covenant. Sermon listening is not a spectator sport. It's an equipping activity where the whole people of God are equipped to make one another more like Christ. As soon as Emmanuel becomes a top-down operation, she is a sinking ship. But when the church of God is an equipped body, yes, there are leaders, yes, there are teachers, that's fine, God made it that way, that's necessary, but it's not everything. It creates an equipped body that is able to take the weight of one another's souls onto itself and minister into one another's lives. And these passages are crucial in importance for your ministry as a Christian. What they do is that they remind you that the whole Bible, yes, even the Old Testament, belongs in your ministry toolbox. Your medical bag for wounded Christians needs to include the whole Bible. Your discipleship curriculum must include the Old Testament. Do you speak the Old Testament to your fellow believers? Jesus makes it clear that the whole Old Testament is important and relevant for your ministry. Now notice what Jesus says and how He says it. He says He came not to... He came not to abolish, but he came to fulfill. And then he gives us the reason for this. Notice the four. I noticed pointed this out this week, but notice it again. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, of course, an iota was the Greek letter that's probably referring to the smallest of the Hebrew letters, the Yod, tiny like almost like an apostrophe. And then a dot would have referred to like the barest marking, like almost the difference between, as one person put it, like an an N and an H. If you just move that middle line, you're switching things up. And and Jesus, those won't be abolished. Now, I learned something this week. It's fascinating. I learned that most Bibles are written in a serif font, a serif font. And, and the serif, I need my glasses for this, is that, that little tail at the top and bottom of each letter. So if it looks like D, a little small D, has a little kick out the back, or if it looks like the W just has a little extra on the sides, that little extra, that's a serif. And the reason some of you in college wrote papers that were sans serif, get a little French on you, just means sans serif, without serif. What's sans serif? It's just those letters without the, you know. If Jesus has been writing today, I think he would say, not a serif is going to be abolished from the Old Testament. Not any part of it. Not anything. Now listen to me. There is a, constant temptation that comes to the church to think that we will be more relevant more engaging more able to connect more with the times if we just shave the nose off the seraphs just just, a, just some of the commands i mean that yeah, 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 yeah. I heard of a pastor who said he preached in New York City for decades and never spoke against homosexuality once. That's awful. That's just awful. It's the idea that if you just shave a little off the edges, just, 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 just I mean, I know it's, it's gonna be offensive, but if we can just hear the, the most offensive, the, the frontline offensive, just pull it back, will be a little more effective. And Jesus is just eviscerating that kind of thinking. Every single portion. I'll tell you who's not afraid of the Old Testament. Jesus. In fact, He regards it as His masterpiece. He wrote it. It was inspired by His Spirit. And so, you've got Jesus teaching that the reason He didn't come to abolish the fulfill the law is because the law is perpetually binding. Now, the next thing it says, and this is where it gets really relevant to our ministry, is that whoever... Now, who in this room would be included in that whoever? This whoever is Everybody. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments. So if you just say, like, that, I mean, that, that command is so small, right? I mean, Jesus even told us that not all the commandments in the Old Testament are equally important. He says righteousness and mercy are more important than tithing, mill, and, dint, and kumen, dill, and kuman. But, but he says, if you even just let, let the, 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 the littlest ones relax at all, You are low men on the totem pole in the kingdom. You're the least. You're the guy who should never be picked for the team. You're least in the kingdom of God. Oh, but the irony is we take those guys and march them to the front of evangelicalism and say, teach us how to, teach us how to embrace the culture. Teach us how to engage the people who are around. No, 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 least, not leader, Least. But whoever does them, if you do the least Old Testament commands and teach others to do them, you will be great. And this isn't the kind of great where you should be like, I don't want to be great. I don't want to be great. This is the kind of great where you should be like, yeah, I I want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Every Christian ought to want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Don't worry. It won't make you proud. Make you foot washing. Make you die to yourself. It will not make you proud to be great in the kingdom of heaven. The kind of greatness that you're scared of, I want to be great, is actually the kind that makes you least. Okay, now this presents us with a major theological and practical problem at Emmanuel Baptist Church on this Sunday morning. Jesus has not abolished any of the Old Testament commands. Jesus has fulfilled all of them. Every single one of them are binding till the end of the age. If I neglect any of them, I'm least. If I do and teach all of them, I'm great. So what am I supposed to do? Should you call someone to be circumcised today? Should you call someone to obey the Sabbath today? Should some of you guys who are trimming the edges of your beard repent and let them grow because you want to obey Jesus today. It creates a major problem just with a hint of honesty. How do we resolve that problem? We resolve that problem by realizing that we apply the whole Old Testament law as fulfilled, that we apply the whole Old Testament law as new. And here's the good news, and I'm going to give you plenty of examples, and I'm going to sit down, and from the looks of things, the entire service is going to be over. We teach the whole Old Testament law as Jesus has fulfilled it. That's got to be kept there. As Jesus has fulfilled it. And the good news is, Emmanuel, you're already so good at this. God has worked this in your heart so much. You do this all the time. It is a glorious thing to be your pastor because you are a people who so continually teach every single part of the Old Testament as fulfilled in Jesus. And let me give you examples of it in this way. You don't have to raise your hand. This would get awkward. But has anyone here ever exhorted a brother or sister to flee lust? Has anyone ever walked with another Christian as they run away from the scourge of lust and porn towards Christ like purity? I know that in this room, dozens and perhaps hundreds have done that very thing. What were you obeying? You were obeying the moral law of the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say, don't even look at a woman to lust. And every time you've ever taught that, explained that, called someone to obey that, fought that yourself, you were obeying the very smallest portions of the Old Testament in a way that pleases Jesus completely. Let me give you another example. This one's even more awkward because it's budget time. Has there anyone at Emmanuel ever been happy that we pay our pastors? And if you're not, you can kick that up with us later. But just for now, I, I know this actually. I know this because people call the church. Do we pay our pastors? Do we care for our pastors? Are we caring for our pastors? We, we propose budgets that, that try to care for our pastors. People vote and affirm those, uh, those budgets. Do you know that when you do that, you are obeying the civil laws of the Old Testament. What? 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7, you can look it up or you can read it to you, Paul is talking about paying your pastors. But the way he's talking about it is so wild. He doesn't do a Google search for average pastoral compensation in America. There's none of that going on. Here's how Paul argues for this. 1 Corinthians 9.7, he says, he starts off with just a bunch of common sense. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Soldiers don't pay their own paychecks, people. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of the fruit? Nobody plants a garden and doesn't eat a few of their own tomatoes. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? If you got milk cows, guess what you're having on your cereal for breakfast? You get to enjoy some of the milk. And then he says this, do I say these things on human authority? These common sense illustrations I've been using, they might give you the impression I'm just saying this on human authority. Well, then he says this, Does not the law, does not the law, does not the Old Testament law of Moses say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. In other words, oxen that are running through the, well, running there, slogging through the fields of grain ought to be able to chomp on some wheat while they do that. Now, then Paul says this. This is Paul. He says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Oh, yes, the Old Testament, such an environmentally friendly book and an animal rights book. God is primarily concerned for oxen. no. He says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does He not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and threshers thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And then Paul says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, preached and counseled, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? You see what's going on? Paul's taken the most obscure... I mean, come on, the ox-muzzling law, I mean, that seraph can go. I mean, that, that, that's not that important. Paul sees that as fulfilled in the Christian church as they make sure that those who are working eat. That's you and I fulfilling every single portion of the Old Testament. I'll give you another example. Has anyone here, you can put your hand up for this one. It won't be awkward. Has anyone here ever encouraged another Christian to give their whole lives to God? Amen. I know you have. Brother, we got to live for Jesus. Let's keep living for Jesus. Hey, in light of, you ever said to one of your kids, maybe, hey, in light of Jesus, all that Jesus has done for you, give your all to him. Any moms ever say that? Any friend said that to a backsliding Christian? What was happening there? You were fulfilling the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Listen to Romans 12. Listen to the language Romans 12 uses. Listen to the way Paul talks about the Christian life. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You you see what's happening here? The moral law, don't commit adultery. I mean, that's good, that's good, that's good. But it can't be everything. It goes all the way up to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The civil law, make sure the oxen eat. Oh, that's good, that's good. But boy, there's sure an application there for pastors in the church. The ceremonial law. I mean, ultimately, the ceremonial law is fulfilled by Jesus. He's the Lamb of God that all those lambs pointed to. But we are sacrifices on God's altar. When Paul describes missions later on in the book of Romans, how do you describe it? He says, I'm getting the offering of the Gentiles ready for God. He's going to offer Gentiles to God. Do you see what's happening? Have you ever asked anyone... Have you ever prayed, have you ever prayed that you'd be, put your hand up for this one. Have you ever prayed that you'd be more loving? Every, every eye closed, every, you know, everybody should have their hand up, right? I mean, who hasn't prayed that they'd be more loving? Paul says, Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. You love Emmanuel, and there's not a jot, a tittle, an I, a cross, T, an iota. There's not a serif of the law you're neglecting. Paul says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. and other, Any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Listen to this again. Therefore, love is the fulfilling, fulfilling of the law. You love, and you've got it. You hit it. You did it. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The worst result of this sermon was you go back and say, now now how do I apply a shrimp today? What do I do? You recognize that these things have spiritual realities. Pastor Donnie sent a brilliant one to me today. Why do we eat shrimp now and not practice sexual immorality? Well, because Peter had a sheet lowered down in front of him in the book of Acts with all kinds of unclean animals on it. And God said to Peter three times, rise, Peter, kill and eat. There was no sheet with sexual morality and homosexuality and adultery on it where, where, where Peter was told by God, hey, get over it. What we're doing is we're obeying the whole Bible as the whole Bible's been presented to us by Jesus. So, Emmanuel. These verses are important, but the most beautiful thing is you're already doing so many of them. Don't miss the glory in your midst. And don't forget that all of this love in our midst is a reminder that what you're participating in, this is verse 20, is a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. A righteousness that assures you, you will enter the kingdom of God of heaven. Scribes and the Pharisees, they loved all those externals. The believers love to love, to fight lust, to care for those in need. And when they do that, they have the righteousness that even surpasses the most rigorous religious leaders of Jesus' day. Well, let's pray, and then maybe we could just sing one song. Ward? I think it's too late to take the Lord's Supper. Let me pray. Father, we pray to You, thank You for giving us a fulfilled law. Lord, it's convicting to think we're supposed to love like You. Help us to love like You. Help us to teach others to love like You. And help us to enjoy the comfort from knowing we don't need to do... We don't need to check every box of the commands of the Old Testament. We need to obey them all as fulfilled in You.